blessing. Um, as Pastor Jeremy said, my name is JR, and really um, our hope for revitalizing this bilingual church is to plant this new church called City Light, where our mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. But I think that makes us family, technically, so I'm kind of like the cousin you never knew you had. Um, so if I show up at your birthday party, you know why. Um, but, but really our story just comes from this idea that the gospel changes everything. And I've seen it in my own personal life and seen it as the answer for what's going on in our city and in our world. You know, the gospel, I grew up in a Spanish-speaking church my whole life and just knew the routine, knew, knew what was going on. And then it was, when I was about 17 years old, our youth pastor just gave a very simple presentation of the gospel and, and everything just clicked. I was like, man, like, God can, God totally is in his um, just, just action to throw me into hell for who I am. But yet, he didn't. Instead, he took on my punishment so that I could be born again. And that, that just changed everything. And I saw it as the answer to what's going on in our broken world and everything like that. So I'm like, man, we have to get the gospel out. And as I went to seminary and met my lovely wife and we were um, going to a church up there, a sister church of Redeemer, it, it just dawned on me. God's plan A for the gospel to go out and saturate communities and the world is actually the local church. You guys are God's plan A for the gospel to go out. It's not necessarily the, the famous preachers on TV or the big events. It's every Sunday churches faithfully proclaiming the gospel to their city and beyond. And so as um, we were moving forward and I was wanting to plant a church, I was like, man, I want to I wanna be connected to the local church. I want the gospel to be saturating communities. Um, a guy by the name of David Richie Cole calls me out of nowhere while I'm still living in Philly and says, you don't know me, but we just, can we talk? And he had a heart for wanting to start something new in East Amarillo, specifically in the Latino community where I grew up and where I went to church all my life. And I was like, man, that'd be awesome, but I, I just don't know how that's going to work. That same week, um, my parents' church, this bilingual church on the east side, which I would attend as I would visit back home, their elders reached out to me and they said, hey, man, like we've, we've seen you've been praying and we've been talking with you and we just want to start something new here, specifically because we want the gospel to go out and saturate East Amarillo, and we want to go deep. We, we want to go deep into the gospel, knowing that you could spend your whole life diving into the depths of what God has to say and what God has done and still not scratch the surface of it. So like, man, okay, I don't, I don't think this is coincidence. And so connected with Pastor Richie and said, hey, if we did this, what would you, what would you say if we went ahead and made this a, a replanting, a revitalization type of residency, um, this type of partnership? And he said, hey, man, Redeemer Network is in the business of doing that. I think we'd be a great partner for you. And so we just saw God open so many doors and, and bring us back here. And, and God opening up relationships like with Liberty Baptist here and with Pastor Jeremy. And so since we're technically family, um, as we're going forward, I think I would just love for you guys to maybe do three things for us. Uh, one, would you pray for us? Just pray that the gospel would continue to, to create disciples and saturate neighborhoods and, and bring people from death into new life. Um, two, would you, would you mind prayerfully considering, maybe as individuals or as a church, to partner with us? Um, if you understand that your generosity and your, and your partnership with us in the gospel is actually reaching people who don't know about Jesus. Right now, we have a, a Bible study meeting in the community where we're going to be starting the church, and we've reached out to non-Christians, the church people, 
people who are alcoholics, struggling with addiction, and just wanting to know what, what hope do I have in, in this broken, broken world that I live in. Your generosity helps us reach those people, helps us introduce them to the life-transforming message of the gospel. But lastly, too, if, would you just consider connecting? If you know anyone in the Amarillo area, in East Amarillo, that doesn't have a church home, that doesn't know Jesus, would you have them connect with us? We would love to walk alongside them. We would love to show them the good news that Jesus came and he lived the life we could never live. He died the death we deserve and he resurrected so that we could be made right with God. So if you'll do those things for us, pray, give, and connect, man, that'd be awesome. And so enough about me, though. Let's just talk about what's important today. It's God's word. So we're going to be diving into God's word, and we're going to be looking at Psalm chapter 19. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read our passage. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dive into God's word together. So Psalm chapter 19, this is what God's word says to us, starting in verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor there are words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set the tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom, leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. It's rising from the end of the heavens, and it's circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise it's the simple. The precepts of the Lord are, are, are right and rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired than gold, even more than fine gold. Sweet also, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden sins. Keep back your servant also from uh, presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Uh, we thank you that you are God who speaks to his people. Every time we, we open up the word, you have something to say. And whatever you have to say is relevant because you are relevant, Father. Right now, I just ask by the power of your Holy Spirit that um, you would encourage us where we need to be encouraged. Would you convict us of sin where we need to be convicted? But most importantly, Father, would you help us fall more in love with your son, Jesus Christ? I pray that everything that's not about you this morning, that anything I say that's not about you may just fall flat and may no one remember it. But I pray that anything that glorifies you and, and honors your son, may that be what people take with them as we, as we leave from here this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, um, I didn't get to mention this earlier, but as part of our strategy for replanting this church and starting City Light Church, we've been meeting at uh, our mother church, Redeemer Christian, 
in the afternoons, on Sunday afternoons from 3.30 to 4.30 so that we can just pray together, worship together bilingually, um, and just train and get ready to launch our new church here coming in August. But part of our strategy actually is that in the afternoons we'll do that, but in the morning we'll actually meet together with Redeemer as a huge family like this, and we'll worship together. That's actually been some of my favorite parts of this replanting or this revitalization uh, strategy that we've been put into place. And over the past several months at Redeemer, we've been going verse by verse through this book of the Bible called Romans. Now, if you've never read the book of Romans before, it is probably the most in-depth and soul-provoking breakdown of the beauty and uniqueness of God and the Christian faith. And as we've been walking through the book together, I think the thing that's really stuck out to me um, is this idea that, that God is not a distant God. He's not like an absentee parent or he's not just in and out of our lives or indifferent to what's going on in our life. Instead, the Christian faith teaches that, that, that God has revealed himself to us. He's made himself known to us. Just, just think about how crazy that is. As Christians, we have this familiarity with God. We have the privilege of saying that, I know God, and, and God, he knows me. And that's crazy. And the reason why I bring that up is because as we dive into our psalm this morning, our passage, we're going to see that our passage takes this idea of, of God revealing himself to us, and it breaks it down and goes in depth, and, and it breaks it down for us in a very profound and, and, and encouraging way. So I'm excited that we're going to get to do that today. But before we go any further, let's just get a, let's take some time to just get to know our passage a little bit better. So our psalm, or this poem, was written by a guy named King David. And king David was the king of God's Old Testament people, Israel. So as King David writes this psalm, what he does is that he poetically praises God for revealing himself to his people. And he uses some very unique language as he does that. Like He uses words like declare. And, and voice, and even, and even using words like word, right? You see, what has caused King David to erupt into praise is the fact that God has revealed himself to us specifically through giving us what's called his revelation. He's given us revelation, or, or in other words, God has made himself known to us by speaking to us. God has, has spoken. And the truth of the matter is, is, that, is that this is a fact that we just can't ignore. We just can't ignore or be indifferent to or just shrug our shoulders at the fact that God has spoken to you and me. Be because because I, I think it's pretty fair to say that, that if the living God of the universe has spoken to us, then what he has to say is probably pretty important, right? So with all that in mind, the big idea of our passage today, the main point of the sermon is going to be pretty simple. Our big idea is this. God speaks. God speaks. Say that again for our, our note takers out there. The big idea this morning is God speaks. And as we go back through our passage, we're going to see that, that the message that God speaks to us, in the message that God speaks to us, he says three main things. He says to listen to cherish, and to turn. He says to listen, cherish, and to turn. So let's start with that very first one. 
as we look at our passage, the first part of God's message to us is to listen. He says to listen. And we see that in the very first six verses of the passage. So I want to reread those six verses real quick. Let's start back at verse 1. Verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice um, is not heard. Their voice goes out throughout all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chambers, and like a strong man runs his course, course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit um, is to the end of them. There is nothing hidden from its heat. So in the opening part of our passage here, we see King David makes this very poetic statement. In the very first part of verse 1, he says, the heavens declare the glory of God. Now, I know that if you've been around church for a while, we use that phrase a lot, the glory of God, and we typically don't uh, define it. So just allow me to, to give a, a simple definition so we can all get on the same page. So when we refer to the glory of God, what we're referring to is God's intrinsic value. Um, in other words, maybe what the glory of God refers to is God's supreme importance. So what's happening here is that uh, God, what's blowing David's mind right now is the fact that God has designed every molecule of creation to sing about the, his beautiful superiority and his power. That's what creation sings. And maybe we don't spend enough time just reflecting on that, on that fact, reflecting on that reality. So let's just maybe t take a moment just to reflect on that. Uh, allow me to give you some, some, statistics, um, some statistics right here, some, some data, right? So did you know that there is an estimated, um, there is estimated to be over 400 billion stars in our galaxy alone? And there's also estimated to be over 100 billion galaxies that we know of. So we don't even know actually how many stars there are in our universe. Um, God created all of that, and it sings of his glory. Did you know also that there is over 352 quintillion gallons of water in our oceans? God created all of that, and it sings of his glory. Um, but maybe, let me get a little more personal with you guys, okay? So what blows my mind is the fact that when God created us as humans, he could have chose any way for us to receive energy, any way for our bodies to receive energy. We could have done like photosynthesis. We could have done it through gas, rocks. I, I don't know. But, but in his divine wisdom, God chose for our bodies to receive energy through food. Amen. He chose to, for our bodies to receive energy through tamales and tacos and pozole. <laughs> Praise God for that. Give glory to God for that. See, what our passage is showing us is that no matter where you go in this universe, creation is singing this to you. Who is like our God? See, he's the most important person in existence ever. And there is no one who even comes close to him. He is the best being in this world. Man, that's awesome. That's awesome. But as we go as we keep moving on in our passage, we see that towards this end of the section, David, King David brings in this analogy of the sun. 
Now, now what's interesting about that analogy of the sun is that um, for many ancient people groups, the sun wasn't just this cosmological entity or the scientific thing. It was actually a very important religious figure to them. You see, for many ancient religions, people worshipped the sun. They believed that the sun had created the universe and was sustaining the universe. And in fact, it was also the God of justice that it saw the wickedness of the world and would rain down wrath upon evil. And we read in the Bible that um, God's Old Testament people, Israel, were very tempted to turn to these false religions. And if, if we're honest, as God's people today, yeah, maybe we don't worship the sun necessarily, but we're just as much tempted to make that same religious turn like they did. You see, the Bible teaches us in Genesis that it was because of our first parents, Adam and Eve, their rejection of God, what we would call sin, that, that the world was broken. And now we are all naturally, as their descendants, we're all naturally inclined to give our love and our devotion, not to the creator who deserves it, but to creation, um, to things that we call idols. And, and if we take a moment just to think about, about that reality, think about our idolatry, I think one of the main root causes of it is really just the neglect of God's awareness or, or of his control. Um, let, me, let me give you an example just to kind of root that out for you. So this past week, um, part of our ministries, we're reaching out to a lot of non-believers and de-church. So one of my friends that I grew up with who had left Christianity and was interested to come back, we met up for some food. And one thing you have to know about my friend is that he was the toughest guy in our group. He's former military now. He doesn't take anything from no one. Nothing scares him. The dude is tough. And so as we sat down to eat, I, I was very surprised that he started to get very transparent with me and talk about his anxieties and his fears. And he told me that, that he was just terrified to know that there were situations and things in this world that, that his military training and his toughness really didn't prepare him for whether it was his own relationships, his family, his work, there was just things he couldn't rely on his training and his toughness to save him from. It terrified him. And so as we were talking about God and the Christian faith, it really was interesting to me that, that my friend had no problem admitting that there was a God. He had no problem admitting that God had created things. He just had a really hard time believing that God was in control. That God was aware of what was going on and that there was nothing that's outside of his control. You see, one of the most devastating effects that sin has on our lives is that it blinds us to the fact that God is not distant, that he's near, and that he's aware of what's going on and that he is in control. So instead, we give our love to all these idols and everything else, hoping that they will give us some sense of security. And instead, the only good thing that idols are good for the only thing that idols are good for is to fail you. That's really the, the reality of our lives as humans. But, but look at the end of verse 6 there and see what David says. David says that although there's nothing that escapes the heat or the rays of the sun, we have to be aware that it's God is the one who put it there. That characteristic actually comes more from God. See, He's saying that truthfully, there is nothing that escapes the sight of God. He is near, and everything that goes on in this world, even the brokenness and evil that we see, God sees it, and he cares about it. See, one of the most beautiful truths of our text is that you and I never have to worry that the world will stop spinning. Because God created it, God rules over it, and he sustains it. 
He never takes a day off. See, one of the most beautiful parts of our text is that you and I never have to worry that injustice and evil and wickedness will go unseen and unnoticed because God is near and he sees it and he cares. Just think about it. No matter where you go in this universe, no matter where you go in all of creation, the divine soundtrack that's playing, that's operating on a divine frequency level that even hits our spirit is telling us this. God is the only one deserves our love and devotion because he is powerful and he is present he's powerful and he's aware see god our passage shows us that god speaks and our lives should be characterized by listening to the glorious message about his glory about his power and his awareness so maybe just for now let's take a step back and ask how this applies to our lives. I got a question for you. So here's the question. What is stopping you from listening to the divine, to the divine soundtrack of creation? What is stopping you from listening to the soundtrack of all creation? You know, maybe if you're honest, um, what's stopping you is pain. Maybe pain from feeling some tragedy in your life. It's just really hard to see that God is in control or God is just aware of all this. You know, and maybe if you're honest, maybe it's anxiety, you know, seeing how this world is just falling apart around us and wondering if, if maybe this is the end. Maybe God doesn't know what's going on. Maybe God, this is out of God's hands. Or maybe it's just bitterness. Bitterness from being hurt by people and specifically maybe even the church. You know, whatever reason it is, I just want to encourage you with this this morning. Creation sings that God is powerful and good. You can actually take a day off and rest because he will never stop sustaining the universe. You can actually sit down and know that all the injustice and pain that you felt, there is someone who sees it and cares. It's the God of the universe that nothing escapes his sight. Maybe just for right now, just let that truth just wash over you. Rest in that truth. Let that be where you draw your strength from today. God is in control. God is powerful. You know, family, let's embrace the good news that God is both powerful and aware. Let's listen to the soundtrack of creation. Amen? So let's move forward through. So we see that part of our passage. Now as we move on, we see that the next part of God's message to us is to cherish. Cherish. And we see that from verses 7 to 11. So let me reread those verses real quick. So starting at verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Moral, to be desired are the, than gold, even much fine than gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. So if, if we really want to understand the depth of these verses, I think we need to focus in on two major phrases of, this, of, of verse 7, right? So the phrases of law of the Lord 
and then reviving to the soul. So let's start with that first phrase, the law of the Lord. That phrase, the law of the Lord, was typically used to describe what's called the Torah um, or the first five books of the Old Testament. But really, it's a phrase that describes the entirety of the scriptures, the, the totality of our Bibles today. And as we read this description of the scriptures that King David gives, we see that the Bible is actually filled with many types of things. You know, we see God's commandments. We see true morality. We even see a perfect wisdom. And, and, from this, and from this description, the assumption that many people get about the Bible is that all it is is just a book filled with moral rules. Maybe life hacks are just good advice, right? Or, or just even, even just solid wisdom for everyday life. And while the Bible's not less than that, it's, it's way more. It's way more. You see, the Bible is God telling you and I who he is. It's revealing to us his character. And it shows us that we were designed for an intimate relationship with God. You see, the Bible's so perfect because it is God's literal speech to us showing us that he is the epitome of goodness, perfection. Love, what the Bible would call holy. God is holy. And that's why it's reviving to the soul. That's why it gives life that last phrase. It's so reviving to the soul because it shows us that true joy and satisfaction can never be found in these horizontal relationships that we have here in our earthly life. It can only be found in our vertical relationship with God. Because it's through our vertical relationship with God that joy and satisfaction overflow into our horizontal relationships, and then we can find true peace and harmony there. You see, the Bible teaches us that God is both powerful and good. Powerful and good. But even though this truth is pretty awesome, it also reveals to us, I think, our, our biggest struggle as human beings. You see, back in the day, the biggest problem people had with the Bible and even Christianity in general was, was accepting that God was supernatural, you know, that God was powerful and the creator. But, but today, in, in maybe this 21st century era, in, in this era with, you know, millennials and iGen, we have no problem accepting that, that there is a God and that he's supernatural. We actually just have a problem accepting that he's good, that, that he has our best interest in mind. And do you want to know the, the, the fir very first example of this situation, this type of reality? It's all the way back in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter 3, we see that when the serpent tempts Adam and Eve, he doesn't tempt them by trying to say, oh, God's not real. No, he tempts them by telling them, God's not good. He's holding out on you. He doesn't have your best interest in mind. And it was because of their rejection of that truth of, that God is good that the world was broken, and now we are separated from God and put under wrath. And so now as humans, we're all too familiar with things like anxiety and bitterness. You know, anxiety is saying that God won't get it right, that he can't be trusted. And bitterness, all that is is just saying God didn't get it right, that he's holding out on me. Basically, God is not good. You see, what sin does to us is that it makes us doubt what God has lovingly revealed to us about himself and who he is. That's what sin does. But look at the good news that, that David gives us in our text for doubters like, like you and myself. 
You know, in the text, he says that the scriptures are valuable and sweet. Um, it's this way to tell us that we should cherish them, that we should desire them, we should appreciate them. And the reason why is because it shows, the scriptures show us the best example of God's love and goodness. They show us the cross. Look at uh, what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 6 through 8. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, the scriptures show us that God's answer for our brokenness and the world's brokenness was the cross. That he showed us that he has our best interest in mind. God shows us, lovingly tells us in the scriptures that while we were jacked up and messed up people, while we're doubting the very truth that he showed us, that he's loving and good, he sent his son to live, die, and resurrect so that we could be made right with him. That's called the gospel. And so now every time you and I open up the scriptures and we read, we can now taste and see that the Lord is good. Family, the best news you and I could ever know, best news that you and I could ever hear today is that God is both powerful and good. The scriptures from cover to cover tell us the message of his goodness and his power. Let's cherish the word. So once again, let, let's just apply that. Let's talk about cherishing. So here's the question. What would it look like for you to cherish God's word? What would it look like for you to cherish God's word? You know, I think one of the best ways we can actually do that is just following King David's lead. You know, as we sit down to read our Bibles or read the scripture, we should use the scripture to fuel our worship of God. So, so, as you, so as you sit down, as you put it into your schedule, whether it's in the morning, the midday, afternoon, at night with the kids, whatever it is, as you read the scriptures, just take time to just reflect on what those passages of scripture are teaching you about who God is, about his love, about his goodness, about his power, about how he lovingly um, saves broken and messed up and rebellious sinners like you and I. You know, I... I think a great example that I've seen of this has been in uh, this book called Gentle and Lonely by a guy named Dane Ortland. And, and in part of the book, he talks about his own reflection upon Scripture as he reads the Gospels, actually. Uh, this is what he says. He says, yes, he, which is Jesus, is the fulfillment of the Old Testament hopes and longings. Yes, he is the one whose holiness causes even his friends to fall down in fear because of an awareness of their own sinfulness. Yes, he is a mighty teacher whose authority outstripped even the religious PhDs of the day. To diminish any of these is to step outside of vital historic orthodoxy or historic Christianity. But the dominant note left ringing in, the ears, um, in our ears after reading the Gospels, the most vivid arresting element of portrait is the way the Holy Son of God, who is God in the flesh, so this is God, moves toward, touches, heals, embraces, and forgives those who least deserve it, yet truly desire it. That fueled his worship. Those scriptures fueled his worship. 
Family, God's word reveals his heart for rebellious and broken sinners like you and I. Let's not take it for granted. Let's cherish it together. But to finish out our passage, um, let's look at these last couple of verses. And in the last couple of verses, we see that the last part of God's message to us is to turn. He says to turn. And we see that in verses 12 through 14. So let me reread those lastly for you real quick. So starting at verse 12, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So in this last section, King David finishes out his psalm with a prayer request. And and this prayer request is really being birthed out out of David's own convicting awareness of his sin. See, he even mentions things like, you can see it in the verse, you can see, he says, who can discern their errors? You know, or even, who can be innocent, basically? Like, I got, I, I'm not innocent, he says. You see, David knows that the world is broken. David knows that he himself is broken and under sin. And there's nothing he can do about it. He has to cry out to God because he can't fix this. And really, that, that tension that David feels is the life experience of every human being on, in, within the human race. I mean, the book of Romans teaches us that all of creation, even humans, groan under the oppression of sin. We know it, it, it's this horrible dictator over us. And if we're honest, we know deep down that there's something wrong with our world. We know deep down that there's something wrong with us and that we have sinned and that we're under God's judgment. And we see the evidence of this every single day. So for example, have you ever thought or wondered why is it that when we mess up or we stub our toe, we're so prone to want to curse, to want to cuss? It's because we know deep down that this is not the way things are supposed to be. Or have you ever thought about this, that when we've just been frustrated, we're really frustrated, or we go to a funeral, why do we cry? It's because deep down we know that this is not the way things are supposed to be. You see, our passage is showing us that the, that the cry of the human race is to be freed from the oppression of sin and its consequences and the wrath that they deserve. And, and maybe here's where our issue lies with that, though. So while many of us maybe in this room would probably agree that there is something wrong with the world or there's even something wrong with ourselves, we're always tempted to believe that the, that the answer for our brokenness is just good advice. It's good advice. Right? Even before I became a pastor, like I would go to church and I'd meet people who were coming, and, and the main reason why they came to church was I, I just want to keep my, my kids out of trouble. I, I want, my marriage is kind of struggling, and, and, and I, I know that coming here would probably be great. Or even I started a new business, and I just want my business to succeed. And, and don't get me wrong, you know, loving your family, loving your marriage, being faithful in your business, those are all, all good things. But, but, but if I can be honest with you, good advice won't save you from sin. 
Because if it did, it would have already worked by now, right? It would have it already worked. See, but, but here's what's so unique about God's message to us, and even what's so unique about Christianity. God's message is not good advice. It's good news. See, it's the good news that the perfect, just creator God saw us in our brokenness, in our willing slavery to sin, and he sent his son to live the life we can never live, to die the death we deserve, and resurrect so that we could be freed from sin and know the joy of loving the God who speaks. And we get to look forward to the day when he'll come back and make all things new. You see, good advice, all it does is lead you to either despair or a false sense of pride, like you got everything, you know, all together. What we need is good news. So maybe you're here this morning, and maybe you find yourself in the same place as, as King David. You know, maybe, maybe you just come to the end of yourself because you've seen how your failures have affected your family or your marriage or, or the people around you. You know, maybe, maybe you, you feel you like you're in this ditch of despair because no matter how much you just try to be better, even be better for God, you keep struggling with the same sins over and over and over again. Or maybe you're here this morning, you just feel the heaviness of our broken world where there's shootings and our economy and all these things that just seem to be going wrong. Here, here's the encouragement that God has for us from Scripture. The encouragement is God is not distant. He is near. He knows what we're going through. and He speaks to us. And his message to us is to turn to him. The main way we turn to him is just through Repentance. Repentance is acknowledging how we've trusted in everything else over God and then believing that it's only through his son Jesus that we can be made right with God, that we can be freed from sin. To turn to him is to know the blessing of being freed from the oppression and pain of sin and to know the hope of loving him and to know one day this world will be restored. That our God comes back and makes all things new. God speaks, and his message to you and I is not just good advice. It's good news. And it's the good news to turn to him. So one last question before I end. I think it's, I think it's pretty, the logical conclusion to what we've read is, 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 will you turn to God? Will you turn to God? Now, the answer to this question will, have, will look different for many of us in this room. So for those of us in this room, or we'll hear this online later, um, and you don't consider yourself a Christian, you know, not, not too religious, maybe you're here, you're just with the family, or you're just checking this out. The way you would answer this question is through repentance and faith. It's through confessing the ways you've loved everything else over God, you've doubted God, you've denied his message, and then believing that it's only because of his son that you can be made right with him, that you could be freed from sin. That's the way you would answer it. But maybe for those of us in this room who, who would consider ourselves Christian, the answer for you guys would be dependency. It would be to not buy into that gospel of just do better. Just, just do better next time. Instead, it's would you live a life of coming to God with your brokenness and your failure and allow God to pour out his grace and his mercy on you through the power of his gospel to strengthen you to live for him, not by your own will, but by, through him. That would be the answer for you. You know, I love how um, I've been reading, I've, I've tend to try to read some old school people every now and then, so I've been reading uh, the old school Puritan Thomas Goodwin. And I love how he talks about us turning 
to God. He says this in one of his works. He says, if, you, if your heart be hard, his mercies are tender. If your heart be dead, he has mercy to liven it. If you be sick, he has mercy to heal you. If you be, a sin, if you be sinful, he has mercies to sanctify you and cleanse you. So we may bo- come boldly to find grace and mercy to help us in a time of need, a mercy for every need. Family, let, the thing that we hold on to this morning is the good news that God's arms are open wide for rebellious and hurting sinners like you and I. And that's what he's revealed to every one of us. So to finish up, I just kind of want to bring this all together. So the truth of our text and what I hope we, we, we hold on to today is that God is not distant or inattentive. He is near and he speaks. He not only tells us of his power and his glory, but that he has heard our cries from under the um, slavery of sin. And his answer was the life, death, and resurrection of his son, Jesus. And let that be our hope. So liberty, let's be a family that never takes for granted the truth that God, that God is near. Let's be a family that tells the world the amazing good news. Our God has spoken. He speaks. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you that um, your word speaks to us. And what we hear is that you are near. You know what's going on. And there's nothing outside of this universe that doesn't declare your glory. But yet, you're not a God that's distant from messed up and jacked up people. Instead, you, you're drawn towards us and, you, and you've made a way. You, you've, your answer to our brokenness was your son. So, Father, I pray that as we move forward from today, as we celebrate with our fathers, that, that the gospel would be saturated in our hearts, that we would look at creation and, and see, see your glory, that we would read the scriptures and taste and see that you are good. And ultimately, when we listen to what you have to say and when we turn to you over turning to ourselves or trusting in ourselves. Father, may we have a big picture of who you are. May we see a, um, a big picture of, of your heart for us. And may we fall more in love with your son. So in your name we pray. Amen.